Hey Super Friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 72 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I am, of course, joined by my very own boy Wanda Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Who has just delayed beginning the recording of this podcast while he put his little moisturising socks on. Self-care is very important. Self-care is very important. We've been away for a little while uh, since May, unfortunately, so I have to apologise again. We're not doing very well at this schedule this year, are we? We are epically failing at a schedule, but we are back. And we've got a very exciting podcast where we're going to talk about the launch of Paramount Plus here in the UK. And uh, so we have an interview with um, the two of the stars of Paramount Plus's Halo. That's Pablo Schreiber and Natasha McElhone, and one of the series' executive producers, Kiki Wolfkill. You can also check a video version of that over on our YouTube channel. But they sat down with me for uh, for a chat about bringing season one of the show to the UK, albeit slightly behind the US market. And that was part of Paramount Plus's launch that happened just a couple of weeks ago. But before we get down to that, let's talk about a few of the headlines of what's going on at the moment in the world of popular culture. First up, we have a trailer that uh, Boy Wonder is very excited about, which is uh, the first teaser for Disney Plus's Hocus Pocus 2, reuniting the three original Sanderson sisters from the original film, Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and that one from Sex and the City, Sarah Jessica Parker, who all return as the Sanderson sisters 29 years after the original movie, with Hocus Pocus 2 streaming on Disney Plus on September the... I want to say September the 30th, or something like that, is it? Um, which, it's about a month before Halloween, so it basically goes into the month of Halloween on Disney Plus. Uh, what did you think of the trailer, Boy Wonder? Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think this film needed a sequel? No, but I wanted one. <laughs> I think that's how most people feel about it, let's be honest. So, uh, you don't get a lot of the Sanderson sisters in the trailer. Do you like the setup? I think it's like going to be like a modern day Disney twist. So they have to think, have a reason to bring them back. Yeah. So like they've got the kids playing with... You know, the candle and the witchcraft. Candle and the wicker and the witchcraft of it all. Trying to do a bit of good but stumbling across something they should have stumbled across. So it sounds like it's one of them 16th birthday and there's a passing line that someone says when you uh, when you reach your 16th birthday that's when a uh, a witch gets her powers so I'm going to presume that the candle because they some like there's three girls one of them uh, seems slightly separate from the other separate separated separated from the other two and she kind of says oh happy birthday you know what you're doing and then the other two say like oh just the usual like horror movie marathon and uh, birthday ritual and then you see them with the candle so I wonder whether they have some sort of birthday ritual around this candle and it's never lit before because she didn't have powers but now she's turning 16 and she has powers and the black flame lights Am I not? Okay, you're more of an expert on Hocus Pocus than me. I thought the Black Flame candle was all burnt out at the end of the last film. Um, I suppose you didn't really see it yet. Yeah. I suppose it was going to be lit for 24 hours, but maybe they found bits of it left over. Maybe. Someone's reformed it. I wonder what the house is now. They're just, it, there's something that looks like the exterior of a house, but it's a magic shop, so I wonder whether that's just... I don't know if that was actually the house. It didn't quite look like it enough. I don't no. know. Uh, so you don't get a huge idea as to what's going on. You just know that there's three school friends. They do a ritual. It brings back the Sanderson sisters. They don't really look any older than they did 29 years ago, which is crazy. 
Also returning is Doug Jones as Billy Butcherson. So Saru from Discovery is back. Uh, I don't believe any of the kids from the original film are back, unless it's a surprise cameo. So the three new friends, uh, you've got uh, Lilia Buckingham as Cassie, Belisa Escobedo as Izzy, and Whitney Peake as Becca. Tony Hale, who's the voice of uh, Dr. Psycho in Harley Quinn, is playing the mayor. And then Sam Richardson's new to the cast as Gilbert. There's uh, In the cast list on IMDb, there's three actresses playing young versions of the Sanderson sisters, as in really, like, kid kid versions. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Henderson, Juju Journey Brenner, and Nina Kitchen. You've got Freud Gutierrez as someone called Mike. Dan Finity as Lucas. I'm just... There's a drag Winnie, which is Ginger Minge from RuPaul's Drag Race. So there's clearly going to be a drag show in there. Uh, drag Mary, played by Cornbread, who is also a drag race uh, contestant. And presumably... Oh, there's only two drag versions. Oh, no. Uh, Kamora Hall as drag Sarah, also a drag race contestant. Uh, so you've got three RuPaul's drag race people, because, you know, they have to be in everything these days. But no... Going through this cast list, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like, oh, whoops, there's a cameo by someone from the original film. Uh, as yet. It's um, it's re- directed by... This version is directed by Anne Fletcher, who directed Step Up and uh, was some... Oh, she was a choreographer on Step Up. Sorry. She's directed several episodes of This Is Us and Love, Victor, and also your favourite Netflix show that no one watched, AJ and the Queen. She directed quite a few episodes of that, uh, but also a choreographer, which is not unusual for Disney. They do like a choreographer turned director. And it's written by someone called Jen D'Angelo, who's written for a lot of American comedy, um, including what looks like a weird two-season drama about Nicole Byers from Nailed It. She's written on loads of American comedy shows. I thought they might have brought back the original writing team, so that's interesting. She's sole writing, uh, credited writer on it. Probably all we can say for now, because it's only a teaser trailer, so there's not a lot to say, other than it's going to stream on Disney Plus September the 30th, just in time for Halloween. I mean, what, what more do you need to say? Well, is there anything else that you would like to say? No, I mean, what more do you need to say? Hit <laughs> middle of back? I mean, you would watch Hocus Pocus every Halloween at least once. If not more. If not more. Well, there was that time we were in New York and it was on every uh, every day. Yeah, we never saw the whole thing all the way through, but we saw a bit of it every day. We were there for ten days, I didn't need to see it ten days in a row all the way through. Yeah. Next up, uh, the uh, the Batgirl movie, uh, which may be coming to cinemas or may be going to HBO Max, so therefore we don't quite know how it's going to be available here in the UK, has had its first press screening in America. So there is a rough edit of the film. We know that both directors have recently been on social media talking about working at um, the Warner Brothers lot in, in Burbank, California, on the film. So presumably that's been putting together edits and also working on some of the post-production side of it. But a version of the film has now screened for a test audience. Not a huge amount has come out from it, but there are a few tidbits of information, which is why I just wanted to cover it off. So this is the film um, which is directed by uh, Adil Alabi and Bilal Falah, who also worked on several episodes of Miss Marvel, which is currently airing on Disney+. Plus. It's written by Christina Hodgson, who wrote the Flash movie and also wrote the Birds of Prey and Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. So, uh, 
No major spoilers. We already know that the villain is Firefly and that he is being played by Brendan Fraser. There is uh, enough pictures of him on the internet that you can see his incredibly disturbing costume if you want to. So that's not, there's no spoiler there. But uh, if you don't want to know too much about what's come out from this, then I would suggest you skip ahead for the next kind of five minutes because I'm just going to cover off a few bits and pieces. Going to start with some aspects of her costume. So we've seen an official photograph of her in costume in plenty of set photos. We know it's the Burnside era purple and kind of yellow gold costume what's come out from the test screening is that her utility so there's two versions of the costume um you might remember from fandom last year there was one piece of concept art where you didn't see her face or the front of her costume you saw her on a gargoyle with her cape spreading out behind her that is apparently essentially the last shot of the film and that is her in a second costume so she will have a homemade costume, which is the costume we have seen, and she will end the movie in a different costume. Now, also this week, Warner Brothers has confirmed its plans for San Diego Comic-Con 2023, and part of that is a new piece of Jim Lee concept art, much like his fandom triptych from two years ago, which is going to be on one of the Warner Brothers bags. Batgirl is on that, and it does appear to be a slightly more armoured costume. It's still purple, so maybe she's just going to keep the purple and upgrade from kind of a biker jacket to something more armoured. But... Uh, Stepping back, her her costume that we have seen in official photographs, her utility belt, is it looks kind of hodgepodge in a way. And what's come out from the test screening is that that is literally all things that Barbara Gordon has swiped from GCPD. So what we're hearing is that, uh, I mean, we know that she's working for GCPD because there was a set photo of her desk. And that when she decides to kind of take it upon herself to become a vigilante, she's going to swipe a whole load of stuff from GCPD lockup and use that to help craft her costume. Now, the most exciting part of that is her cowl. Her cowl is apparently made from the cowl worn by Catwoman. Cue the ooh. Ooh. Now, given, and I'm making a creative leap here, but given that uh, the Batman in her universe and in this film, who we will talk about in detail in just a second, is Michael Keaton. That presumably means that her cowl is made from Michelle Pfeiffer's cowl from Batman Returns. Four, five. Still alive! <laughs> uh, so perhaps we, we might see that. She might go through GCPD lockup and there might be a purple... Purple... There might be a kind of leather, black, and covered in white, you know, stitching Catwoman suit. We might see that. The spoilers that came out didn't suggest that, but really nicely, the people that saw it only gave away a few details. There isn't a, a, a kind of massive write-up. Like, if you were to go and Google the Flash test screening, you can essentially read the story of the entire film scene by scene from start to finish, and we don't have that here. But yes, the Batgirl cowl, which is very much as you would expect from the comics, it's a it's a helmet with a domino mask and has room for her hair to come out at the back so it's not you know a full molded cowl like batman's is based on catwoman well hmm now for something a little bit more spoiler i mean that might just be a very absolute passing plot point uh but i think it's very exciting two things to confirm neither black canary nor nightwing or robin were seen in the test screening we know, obviously, there was the very, very well-documented mural that has Batman and Robin on it, and we also know that there are set photos of Black Canary who's launching an album. At this point, it would seem that that is just background information that fleshes out the world, so you may well notice it in the background. You might not. It's there. It's just an Easter egg in the set. There, there might be a passing mention of a Robin. There might be a passing mention of a Black Canary. 
we just don't know. But Jenny Smollett-Bell has also confirmed that they they are gearing up to shoot her Black Canary series for HBO Max as well. So that's very exciting. So, you know, there is a Gotham world starting to form here. Perhaps there is a new version of Birds of Prey in there somewhere where Renee Montoya has decided to retire because, you know, she was joked at how old she was in Birds of Prey and she could be... You know, she could take a bit of a back step and train the the birds of prey of tomorrow of Huntress, Black Canary, and Batgirl. Who knows? Anyway, uh, so Batman, Michael Keaton's Batman, uh, is apparently going to have quite a major role in this film. He will be seen. Uh, so we, you know, the only set photography we've seen of him appears to be flashback scenes where he shot with J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon, but this version of Gordon had the ginger hair. He he'd coloured his hair or was wearing a wig. Like he's generally bald um, and it was quite clearly a flashback scene because it featured the actress playing his wife and a very young girl playing Barbara being rescued from a firefly attack on the the Gordon house and that's the only time we've seen Batman in terms of the set photos is from from those flashback moments but according to reports from this uh, this test screening we will see Leslie Grace's Batgirl and Michael Keaton's Batman teamed up for much of the film working on the case together he will take on a mentorship role towards her he will ultimately be the one that helps her upgrade her costume at the end they are very much working together there is a working version of the bat fam going to be on screen in this thoughts on that boy wonder it's very exciting again how do you feel about the fact that you might not get to see a boy wonder in this you don't want to oversaturate it i mean it's batgirl's film i was going to say the same thing um i can understand if you were disappointed because you know we know that you're the boy wonder and you would love that and the fact that there was that mural was very exciting but yeah you don't want to take it away from her this is her first time yeah, I mean, it's going to be in enough for that Michael Keaton's going to be there and it's going to be his first return. So, Well, this is the thing. So they seem to be... I mean, if they're test... Obviously, they've been test screening Flash for a while, but they were test screening Flash, bearing in mind that they were planning to release it in November. So they've not stopped test screening it just because they've shifted it to June. But the fact that they're test screening Batgirl and they're still actively working on it pretty hard, I wonder whether they might just release it anyway, which is interesting. It's exciting. But I'm not quite sure what that means. Maybe you're not supposed to know what it means. No, that's true. Maybe I mean maybe we're all supposed to watch it and kind of scratch our heads in terms of uh, what on earth? How is this Batman here and not Ben Affleck's Batman? And then all will be revealed in the Flash. They can. There are ways and means in Hollywood to tie these things together. Or just watch it and think this is a good film. Hmm. It doesn't have to be linked yeah. to anything. Uh, so the fact that Batman is training Batgirl in this film would lend credence to this rumor that. Um, in the in the future of the the DCEU, whatever the hell that is on film, uh, that Batman will be this older mentorship character, and Batgirl will be the kind of Bat character who will take the forefront, and that Henry Cavill's Superman no longer exists, which is something that we can discuss at length when the Flash is coming out and be replaced by Sasha Cage as Supergirl. Now, again, if you go back to this new piece of artwork by Jim Lee, the there is a Batman, there's a major Batman presence in there as well as a major Batgirl presence. But when you look at the kind of soup side of things, um, it is Tyler Hecklin's Superman, and he's very much in the background with, with Bitsy Tullock as Lois Lane and his kids. And front and centre on that side of the bag and that half of the artwork is Sasha Cage. So clearly Supergirl is of major importance to, to DC at the moment, but that has nothing to do with this film anyway. Uh, that's actually that's everything that came out. That was Those were the only things that um, people really enjoyed it. She was great. Uh, the villain was great. Cowl is Catwoman-related. The belt is put together. There's a second costume, and Batman's in it a lot more than we expected. Which, to me, all sounds incredibly positive. Hmm. 
So we're expecting Batgirl to release sometime this Christmas because it is uh, it's Christmas in the film itself. It, it takes place over the Christmas period. But at the moment, all we know is that it was planned as an HBO Max release, so we don't know how we would see it here in the UK. There are rumours that, like the Blue Beetle film, it's being moved to the big screen, but again, unconfirmed. So watch this space and we will keep you posted. Sticking with DC for the final piece of news, we got a trailer this week which was very exciting for the upcoming third season of Harley Quinn. Now, once again, we don't know when this is going to air in the UK. Seasons 1 and 2 both aired on E4, so it's probably quite safe to assume that Season 3 will also be on E4. You can also pick up both seasons digitally in the UK on iTunes and other digital platforms, or you can import the the Blu-ray pretty cheap from America. But we got a a teaser for Season 3, which is premiering its first two episodes at San Diego Comic-Con, if you happen to be lucky enough to be there, which sadly we won't be this year. We will be in Chicago uh, at the same time. And then the first episode, or possibly the first two, they haven't confirmed yet, will stream on HBO Max in the US from July the 28th, and then episodes will roll out weekly. Supposedly a 10-episode season this time, rather than 13. 10 seems to be the new sort of streaming episode count number, uh, fine by me. There are some rumoured episode titles, but they've been kind of semi-confirmed, semi-debunked. I think some of them are accurate and some of them are not, so we're not going to go over it. But trailer, what did you think of the trailer? I thought it was pretty good. Very mad, lots of swearing, high action, nice There's a lot to unpack in this trailer. So there's Amanda Waller, which is obviously a connection to the Suicide Squad. We've seen Harley wearing a Suicide Squad t-shirt before. Uh, What else is in there? James Gunn. James Gunn's in there. So they've talked about the fact that they wanted the show to reference that King Shark was in the Suicide Squad movie, which was obviously directed by James Gunn. And they approached him to appear in the series, and he said yes. And so here he is in the trailer, enjoying sitting on... Clayface, which is kind of weird and very, very Harley Quinn. Batman and Catwoman are in there, but we won't talk about that because this will become an X-rated podcast. Batgirl's in there. Jim Gordon's in there. Firefly. Firefly. Yeah, it's weird. They almost look like parademons, but it also seems to be slightly Firefly, but there's three of them, so that threw me off slightly. Um... Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, uh, making out with uh, Mr. Freeze's wife, or widow as it is, because, you know, obviously Mr. Freeze died in season two, so that's weird. Um, It's typically crazy. I can't wait to see how it pans out as a series. Looks like they're spending some time on Themyscira. There's an invisible jet and an island. Yeah, I wonder if it's a green. Could be. I mean, so this seems. Uh, Harley mentions really, really early in the trailer that it's their two-week anniversary in that scene. So that seems to pick up really quickly after the last season, where they kind of officially got together and were on the run. So they do also say, "Let the eat, bang, kill tour," and I have to make sure I get that in the right order. Uh, begin, I think is the quote, which is obviously the name of the comic book which fills in the gap between seasons. So presumably this is going to kind of dovetail with the comic book as well, which is quite exciting and is available to read on DC Universe, which is available in the UK, or you can pick it up in stores. Just doing my bit. I love it, but then I love this show anyway, so there's there's nothing not to love about it. It's great that it's finally back. I just hope it comes to a UK market pretty soon, but we'll be um, watching it anyway. Because we'll be in Chicago. Because we'll be in Chicago when the first episodes drop. So we'll be watching it on HBO Max over in the States uh, and making sure that we review it. And I guess, oh, the 28th is the day I'm seeing Metallica. Oh. I'm going to have to. So have to work it in. Maybe you'll uh, see me react to watching the first episode whilst at Lollapalooza standing in front of a stage watching Metallica. But that'll be exciting. Uh, any other standout moments that you can think of? Everything happens in really, really quick succession because the trailer's only a minute and 24 seconds. So it's... The one thing that I noticed is I don't think Dr. Psycho's in there. 
Because he was obviously not with the team at the end. He'd properly betrayed the team. And it seems like uh, King Shark and Clayface are locked up in Arkham. They're in Arkham overalls when you see them. They also name drop the hashtag that's become the thing of this show, which is Harl Ivy. So H-A-R-L-I-V-Y for Harley Ivy. Um, they're like, Harl Ivy! Which is strange because in my head it's Harlevy, but that's not... It's just semantics. Either way, very excited. And again, we will keep you posted as to when it will come to a UK market. Uh, it will be most likely on E4. They're launching a new channel soon. They're launching an extra E4 channel um, sometime now because apparently they've just put out a press release and the press release happens to mention we're launching a new channel and Batwoman will be on it. So are they finally going to show episode 8 onwards from season 3 of Batwoman that they still are tweeting people to say we don't have an air date for this yet. They've just the the history here is they've shown seven episodes of the third and now sadly final season of Batwoman on E4 alongside Harley Quinn. They were showing the two together, and then after seven episodes they just stopped airing Batwoman and did double episodes of Harley Quinn and burnt through season two and have never shown any more of Batwoman, which is obviously long since finished. It finished back in kind of March time in America, and here that's it. Uh, you could um, you could do one of those Channel 4 series pass things on iTunes where you prepaid for the season and then every time they drop an episode it immediately comes into your account but you would have paid 20 quid for 7 episodes and not seen the rest of the season so it, it literally they ended it with the sort of reveal that Mary was becoming Poison Ivy and nothing else has happened in the UK and they, they don't know when it's going to come back so I presume if they're moving Batwoman to this new channel they will probably show Harley Quinn there as well but believe me as soon as we know you will know so Harley Quinn season three coming soon that's it for the news this week so let's go over to our experience of the launch of Paramount Plus brand new streaming service here in the UK now Paramount Plus for those who are in the US has obviously been around for a long long time uh Prior to that, it was CBS or Access. It's the platform that launched Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, but then rebranded. And it has finally come to the UK as of June the 22nd. Uh, you can pick it up now for 6 99 per month, or it will cost you just under £70 for an annual membership, all of which comes after a seven-day trial. It is the UK streaming home of all of the Paramount uh, Plus originals. Oh, well, I say all. Almost all of the Paramount Plus originals which are available in the US. So it's pretty much a like-for-like transfer from the US market to the UK. There are two noticeable absences, which are sad for those of us who are massive Star Trek fans. Uh, Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Lower Decks remain uh, Amazon Prime video exclusives here in the UK. So it seems like the next, at least the next season of Lower Decks will air on Prime. Picard is obviously not due back until next year, so there's a little bit of a kind of grey area at the moment as to whether that will move or not. But for the time being, both remain on Prime, so uh, both season one and two of both of those series are not available on Paramount Plus in the UK. But everything else, if you're a Star Trek fan, is on there. So original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, they're there. Also, almost all of the original movies right through to the last Next Generation movie is there, as well as the first of the J.J. Abrams movies. There's Transformers on there, there's Ninja Turtles on there. If you are a genre fan, there's absolutely tons. Uh, there, This has also brought the UK premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds which is airing new episodes Wednesdays. So in the US, just this week, they had the penultimate episode, episode 9, and episode 10, the finale, airs next week. 
This week in the UK, we will get episode five. So we're running roughly four weeks behind. And it also includes the first 10 episodes of Star Trek Prodigy, which have aired in the UK on Nickelodeon. But this is going to be the first exposure for a lot of people to watch Star Trek Prodigy. It's also the home of Halo. And you're going to hear an interview between myself and two of the stars of Halo, one of the executive producers in just a minute. And I'm trying to think what other shows we've watched. The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is a kind of sequel series to the David Barry film uh, starring Naomi Harris and Chiwetel Ejiofor is also available on there too. But for today, we are going to cover off two new Star Trek shows, and then we're going to talk about Halo and uh, my interview. So, I'm going to start you with Star Trek Prodigy, which I had already watched and reviewed a little while back. While back? A little while back. A little while back, but uh, I've kind of sat you down to make you watch it, and you've currently seen seven of ten episodes. Uh, So they edit in America in five-episode blocks. So we've had two five-episode blocks so far. They produced 20 episodes, so there's another two five-episode blocks to come later this year. What do you think of Star Trek Prodigy so far? Go. Um, It's okay. It's it's a kid's show. (laughs) But you understand why I'm making you watch it, because you're a huge Voyager fan, and obviously it has a lot of Voyager connections. It's got a lot of Janeway. Yeah. A lot of Chakotay. Yeah. Sorry, Chakotay. I'm enjoying that. Yeah. I joined the Janeway bits and I enjoy the nods to the Delta Quadrant and what happens after Voyager. What happened? What happens after Voyager. So yeah, I like those bits of it. Yeah, not so much the kiddie stuff? Not so much the kiddie stuff, it sort of wanes my attention a little bit. Yep. Do you think... Uh, so something that I um, I thought when I was watching it was I thought it was a really good way for parents who quite rightly will think that some of Star Trek is probably a little bit too grown up to show to their kids um, is a great way for them to sit them down and not just say this is Star Trek and it's like a kid's version but for kids to watch it kind of identify with the characters but actually learn a lot of stuff which really is rooted in actual like grown up Star Trek it's very accessible very accessible mm. but then because obviously it's not just the fact that you've got characters and it's called Star Trek you know they're on a Starfleet vessel it has all the L cars and you know the design work is very much what you would expect of that period of Star Trek yes you've got Janeway so there's that connection to Voyager but there's also a mystery which you at the point that you're at has been revealed is to do with Chakotay and is part of the the Delta Quadrant and then you've obviously seen the Kazon in the first episode there's Ferengi coming up in the next episode which you you, they've now they've now ended up in the Gamma Quadrant where they are now but there's a huge mystery that unravels which is connected to Starfleet and the Alpha Quadrant and obviously you've just watched Kobayashi Maru which has Spock, Uhura, Odo, Dr. Crusher and Scotty in it which is a huge like like melting pot of Star Trek on the bridge of the Enterprise D no less which was just amazing to see in animation. Very well done. Mm, yeah so I don't really know where I was going with that other than to say do you like the amount of trek nods that are in there that would go over kids heads but parents will love yes like i said it's very accessible for kids and adults so you can put it on you'll get something from it and you'll secretly brainwash them into like in star trek Mm. (laughs) i think that's the point of it and i think it works very well at doing it Mm. so i've reviewed all 10 episodes and i think i don't think i've ever given it less than a four stars several episodes i've given five stars to i think my lowest rating is a four star because i think it's just really well done Star Trek for kids. What do you think about the animation? Because I, so both you and I are not huge fans of TV CGI animated stuff. Like Toy Story is a movie, amazing. Anything Pixar does, amazing. But like that 3D animated Batman show, 
and stuff like that. I always feel like when they do it on TV, it's just a little bit cheap looking and I don't really like it so much. But I think this show looks great. Yeah, I mean, it's all right. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's of that era and it's of its brand of kids TV. I can I can watch it. <laughs> Unlike 3D Rugrats that's on Paramount Plus. Oh, no, that's Which wrong. is not for me. Yeah, no. I mean, some things you've just got to go out to pen and paper. <laughs> yeah, the boys did it this week with um, Black Noir's animated 2D... Yeah, it was very panels. clean though. I mean, you want it to be like. You want gritty. to see. I want pencil. <laughs> I want it to be just not quite right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Giacchino's theme to Star Trek Prodigy. It's very good. Very Star Trek. Mm. Very epic. Yeah, the music I think is great. And I said to you the other day when we were watching it that I am constantly impressed by the space backgrounds. Yeah, I mean it's beautifully rendered. Yeah, that is the exact word. Well mm. done. Not drawn. Round of applause. Yeah. I just the pl- I mean, they don't always end up on planets. There's a lot of ship based stuff. Uh, that was ship based stuff. <laughs> um, but when they're in space, it's a kid show. <laughs> when they're in space, you do get to see some really expansive shots, and I think it's really stunning. Like there's, there's a lot of like gas clouds and colourful stuff that goes on. That's all just space anomaly, and it looks really immersive and very murky. Black. I don't, it just however they've done it, they've done it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Beautiful nebulas, and you've got beautiful nebulas. <laughs> uh, moving on, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. So finally, 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 uh, the seeds were sown in season two of Star Trek: Discovery when we first met uh, Pike, played by Anson Mount, Spock, played by, uh, played by Ethan Peck, and Number One, who we now know is Una Chin Riley, played by Rebecca Romain. And uh, obviously, we left them behind in the past when Discovery went to the future. They began developing uh, a spin-off show for them on the Enterprise. I was about to say the Enterprise A, but it's not the A yet. Obviously, the NCC one seven zero one set before Star Trek: The Original Series, so it is again another prequel, but. Finally, that is now in the UK. So we've seen four episodes. Uh, so that's the pilot, which is called Strange New Worlds, which is just a nice kind of earth set, a kind of scene setting. Episode two, which was called uh, Children of the Comet, where they have to deal with um, a comet that's about to attack a kind of pre-warp civilization, uh, which leads to Ahura doing lots of singing. Then episode three, which is called Ghosts of Illyria, which is uh, kind of a, a really cool, slightly horror-ish episode where Pike and Spock get trapped on a planet whilst everyone on the ship is infected with a light virus. And then episode four, which released this week, which is called uh, Memento Mori, in which a uh, quite famous group of aliens from Star Trek history uh, attack and disable the Enterprise, and it leads to a very cool kind of submarine style episode a ship in a ship in a bottle where they're where they're absolutely stuck and and sort of floating dead in space and have to save themselves from a from a particular enemy the rest of the cast on this show is uh you've got jess bush who plays nurse christine chapel played by uh majel barrett roddenberry in the original series who also in the original original pilot played uh una chin riley You've got Christina Chong who plays La'an Nunian Singh, the brilliant Celia Rose Gooding as Uhura. We've got Babs Alosumokan as Dr. Mbenga, Melissa Navia as Erica Ortegas, Bruce Horak as Chief Engineer Hemmer. Uh, I think that's everyone on the crew. That is everyone on the main crew. Oh, I've got to give a shout out to Andre Day Kim as Chief Kyle. And I, can, I was going to shout out one more there, but I'm not going to because it's a bit of a spoiler. 
so we shall leave it there uh very 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 excited to finally have the show we've seen so many teasers for it so many photos from it they released the opening credits online which is an amazing nod to the original series as well as just being kind of awesome in terms of its own theme tune and finally 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 we've seen four episodes what do you think of strange new worlds so far i bloody love it I think I have fallen into a trap whereby whichever Star Trek I'm watching is my favourite Star Trek. So if I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation, that is my favourite Star Trek, and I think it probably is my favourite Star Trek, to be fair. Uh, If I'm watching Deep Space Nine, I'm like, you know what? I bloody love Deep Space Nine. If I'm watching Discovery, I bloody love Discovery. If I'm watching Picard, it's my favourite Star Trek. Uh, If I'm watching Lower Decks, it's my favourite Star Trek. And now Strange New Worlds is my favourite Star Trek. But if you were watching Voyager, you'd be like, oh, it's all right. It's all right, yeah. No, I, I mean, I like later Voyager. We've had this conversation before. I don't really like early Voyager. I like later Voyager when she's had a haircut. Oh, but you've got to get through the hair, though. She's got to grow. Anyway, we're here to talk about Strange New Worlds. Uh, in which Captain Pike has absolutely amazing hair. Oh, I don't remember being such a, such a thirst trap when he was in <laughs> disco. All right, okay. Um, well, I'm going to go for it. You're all thinking it. <laughs> well, Nicola's thinking it. Um... Uh, Anson Mount is amazing. He's a brilliant Captain Pike. He's a very charismatic lead for the show. I think if you watch Strange New Worlds and you watch it compared to Discovery, and this is not to dis Discovery, uh, yeah, dis Discovery. I think that Strange New Worlds is a much more fairly balanced um, ensemble cast. I think Discovery is still very much about Burnham and how everyone else ties in through her. Whereas I think Strange New Worlds is very everyone is very very important and has their own individual roles to play. And they've done a great job of the way they've constructed the season. But I'm taking away from you. Please continue. I was just saying he's a bit of a thirst trap, really, isn't he? What else do you like about Strange New Worlds? What does everything you said really? I think it is a bit of an all rounder because you do get it's more of a classic Star Trek feel to it. Yeah, so that's what I was not going to say just yet. But they've, if you. Sadly, I was supposed to interview Anson Mount, Sinequa Martin-Green, and Kate Mulgrew as part of the launch, but it didn't It didn't end up happening. But one of the things that I was going to say to them, which I'm still very, very happy to discuss, is the fact that if you watch modern Trek now, and by modern Trek I mean anything Discovery onwards, each of the shows is very, very different. Discovery is absolutely serialised TV. There is an arc, it kicks off at the beginning of the season, it runs through to the end. The You know, the DMA this season in season four which is also uh, on Paramount Plus and will be the first time a lot of people get to watch that in the UK. You know, it's very, very much that's introduced in the first episode and runs through to the end. If you watch Picard, Picard is also fairly heavily serialised, but obviously reliant on a kind of um, legendary character. You've got Prodigy, which, as we were just obviously saying, is very, very much aimed at kids, but still deeply rooted in Trek lore. And then you've got Lower Decks, which is absolutely an out-and-out Star Trek comedy series. And then you have Strange New Worlds, which is different again. It is absolutely a story of the week. So every episode we've seen is completely encapsulated in that 50 minutes. You know, each one has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, you know, they're on to the next mission in the next episode. But what is serialised is the character arcs. So um, Pike is dealing with the ramifications of things that he saw when he was with the Klingons at the end of season two of Discovery, and that carries through the whole season. And each episode is very, very cleverly built to work around a specific character. So the pilot episode, Strange New Worlds, is, is all about Pike. Episode two, Children of the Comet, is very much about Ahura, and they lean on Celia Rose Gooding and her amazing vocal abilities and her singing voice. Then episode three is around number one, Una, 
uh, Una Chin Riley, and episode four then builds itself around um, La'an Nunian Singh, and obviously that's a very famous surname to Star Trek fans. So you 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 know you kind of know the connotations that I'm talking about there. Uh, so do you? Um, obviously we're watching all of these shows do you feel like of those you have a preference as to which style you like or do you feel like each style sits really really well with its own show um, that's a good question I, I do prefer I think it's interesting watching Strange New Worlds now because I feel like I've been a little bit more ingrained into the new way of doing it yeah the more serialised so now that we've gone back to a more classic way I'm a bit like oh this is nice yeah there's something like, almost nostalgic around that, even though the characters are not necessarily characters we've known for years on end. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's going to be interesting going back to watch Discovery now and seeing how that feels different, being less of an ensemble piece and being more built around Burnham. There are some brilliant sets in this series. The Enterprise looks stunning. The bridge is... I, I could just happily sit and watch an empty bridge video. Just take me around it. Give me a tour. Let me look at everything because the detail is amazing. Do you not think? Yeah, I mean, I probably get bored after a while, but yeah. I would not. Uh, and the um, the engineering set is huge, and it's very, very clever because it's only a very small practical element, and the rest is the the AR video wall. So, how do you feel like that works? Because we we talked a bit about how they use the the video wall in Discovery for the alien planets, and I think we've praised it quite a bit, but I feel like. Strange New Worlds has taken it way to the next level. Mm, they're loving the video wall. I do like the video wall. They've just, so they, uh, as we were recording this, they just wrapped season two of Discovery. Uh, they just wrapped principal photography on it just two days ago. And their cast wrap party was in the engineering set. But when the cast all walked in, uh, they basically, they just walked into the set as it is with the video wall on. And then they basically did like a, like a clapper. And then it was all covered in twinkly lights, but all on a video wall, so it's not real. So the whole thing became a party set. But again, completely in a virtual space. It looks really, really cool. So it says like, thank you, cast. And there's just fairy lights hanging from the ceiling, but they're not real. It's it's not a real set. And it's crazy to look at it because I, I, it looked to me like they'd built it. And I was like, hang on a minute. Did they, what? My brain can't com- does not compute. You've been bamboozled. Mm. How do you feel about the fact that it's another prequel? Because obviously everyone's feeling a little bit like, do we really need to spend so much time before and not spend more time in the con- kind of future well not not like i don't mean like discovery future i mean like present day as in picard <laughs> i suppose technically you've got picard lower decks and prodigy that are all in the present day yeah i'd like a bit more like that give me another present day series that's not got a legacy character in it okay but has some nice nods okay which could be the form of a seven of nine and raffi series after picard maybe no uh, i can't it's still legacy characters. I see. I see. I would. I would. I would expect you to want more Seven of Nine. I mean, I'd watch it, but you know. Uh, right. So ignore Captain Pike and. Um, oh, but I can't. He's here. He's <sighs> just too pretty. I was going to say ignore Pike, Spock, and actually just ignore Pike and Spock because they are probably the most famous of the characters that exist on Beyond. Um, because obviously Pike is in all of the J.J. Abrams era movies. Uh, do you have a favourite of the new cast? they're sort of newer characters no you've got some originals and some who are obviously legacy but just less well known no <laughs> just all about pike is it well no i mean i like them all as a group yeah. but no no one stands out to you just yet nobody jumps out to me like oh you'll do type thing i think i would like to see more of number one so una 
I feel like she was a very important part of that trio when they were in Discovery, and I feel like she's slightly taken a back seat apart from the episode that's focused on her so far. But I feel sad that she's on the lieutenant commander. I know, she's the first officer, but she's a lieutenant commander, not a commander. Well, I suppose Spock's the commander, isn't he? But he's not her number one. Yeah. So that confuses me slightly. So. I've noticed that a couple of times. Um, but hey-ho, maybe she's going to get a promotion. We'll find out what happens to her. Uh, I do wonder about what the story will be that means these people are no longer part of the Enterprise crew when Kirk takes over. Obviously, uh, you would have Uhura would stay you would have Nurse Chapel because she is around in the original series, so they will stay. But people uh, like Ortegas and Lan and Una are not around. So I wonder what happens to them. That worries me slightly because I quite like them all. Well, they'll probably just move on to another ship, new captain, wants to bring in his own team. Yeah. That's, that's just, it's going to be a safe way to write them out. I just wonder how many people have got a bit of a expiration date that has to happen between now and the kind of 10 years in the future when Kirk takes over. I'm sure they'll all get a promotion and move on. Mm. And how, uh, again, without giving away too much, because obviously there's only four episodes that are out so far and people may not have had a chance to watch all four yet, how do you feel like it's played with canon for Star Trek so far? I think it's done pretty well. I'm not that... I suppose you're not married to the original series because it's not one that you've watched religiously. No, I'm not married married to it. I'm a, I was a bit, a bit young... I mean, I've seen it, but I'm not married, married to it. And you think back in the 60s... Continuity is probably not an important thing. Yeah, you can be, you can be forgiven for it, being like, oh, actually, we'll just, we'll just glaze over that slightly. True, true. Uh, I think it's probably... Oh, actually, the soundtrack is stunning. That's probably worth saying. Um, this is terrible, but off the top of my head, I can't actually tell you who does the score to Strange New Worlds. <gasps> Disgusting. Isn't that terrible? They won't have released an album yet, because obviously it's not finished in America. Um but I'm going to quickly look it up while I'm talking. So I'm going to do that thing where I try and fill time by just talking whilst I look and see that it is uh, Nami Melumad is the name of the composer. She has composed for The Woman in the House Across the Street from The Girl in the Window, which was a kind of satire on Netflix. Oh, she's done the score to Thor Love and Thunder. Oh. That's impressive. She did Star Trek Prodigy as well. Uh, so other than obviously the main theme, which was um, which was Michael Giacchino. Um, other than that, she's not. She's done uh, Absentia, which is a, a prime original, a film called Anastasia Once Upon a Time, an American Pickle. She did some composing on short treks. Nothing else hugely that I recognise, but lots of... She's clearly come up through short films and got her way into doing some major stuff. Thor Love and Thunder's impressive, though. That's a that's a big deal for her, kind of jumping off from Star Trek to a, to a Marvel movie, so congratulations to her. Uh, the music really is absolutely stunning, and hopefully as soon as the season's wrapped in America, they'll release a, a soundtrack for it, so I can give it a listen on its own. Um, but playing off of the original theme, she does a wonderful job of tying it with... Um, that what's happened there what's what's been composed there it's, it's it's brilliant so new episodes of strange new worlds are rolling out wednesdays on paramount plus which as i said is um now available in the uk and costs 6.99 a month or i think it's 69.95 or something like that for for an annual subscription 
But moving on, I want to talk about another show which is currently available on Paramount+. Plus. This one is actually fully wrapped in America. It's finished season one and is currently producing season two. And currently we have four episodes available in the UK. Three episodes were available at launch. One more came out this week. The remaining um, five will roll out each Wednesday across uh, July and August. And that is the Halo series based on the Xbox video game franchise of the same name, which has been around for 20 years now. Can you believe it? More than 20 years. Wow. So this one stars Pablo Schreiber as Master Chief, who's the character that we all know and have played in the games. You've got Shabana Azmi, who plays Admiral Margaret Parangoski of the UNSC. Natasha Kolzak, who plays Riz028. Olive Gray as Dr. Miranda Keys. Yerin Ha as Quan Ha, who is a uh, insurgent who you meet in the pilot episode. Bentley Kalu, who plays Vanak134. Kate Kennedy as Kai125. So, um... Basically, Kai, Vanak, and Riz are the other Spartans, along with Master Chief. You've got Danny Sapani as Captain Jacob Keys. Jen Taylor plays Cortana. You will know her as Cortana from the video games. And we've got Natasha McElhone as Dr. Catherine Halsey, who is the kind of creator and overseer of the Spartan team. And Bokeem Woodbine plays Sorin 066, who is a uh, kind of breakaway member. Guest starring, uh, or kind of recurring in the series, you've also got Bern Gorman, who plays uh, Vishnu Grath. Or Vinchagrath, sorry. Um, and he has quite an important role in the show, but I don't want to give too way, too much away about him because his role will become more important further down the line. I have to be careful when I'm talking about this one because um, because I did the interview with the cast, I, I was granted the chance to see all nine episodes, so I've seen the whole season, um, whereas only four are available in the UK, so I don't want to start talking about what happens in the finale, <laughs> realising that no one's watched it yet. Um You've seen two episodes so far. I've kind of started you on it, but we've not really hit the ground running with it for you yet. Uh, but I've seen and I really like the whole thing and you can actually read my review over on the website. Uh, I reviewed the whole season, but spoiler-wise, I only discussed the first three. What do you think of it so far? I'm not loving it. No? No, I just can't get into it. Anything about it that you feel is a, a reason why? I just It all just feels about unnecessary. Oh, really? In what yeah. way? I just didn't think it needed to happen. Hmm. They're not, they're not following the game. No, but I think that that's an important thing, which yeah. I'll, I'll discuss my thoughts on in a sec. Yeah, I'm just not bothered. Okay. To sci-fi? No, I'm just I'm not feeling any of it, really. Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, I It's interesting that you say that it, the fact that it doesn't follow the games is an issue for you personally um because i think it wouldn't work if they followed the games so that's really interesting i'm we're going to linger on this for a second because when it first aired in america there was a lot of people who were quite vocal about the fact that master chief removes his helmet at the end of (laughs) i'm going to giggle every time i say removes his helmet um at the towards the end of the pilot episode but because obviously he's, he's never really done it in the games um but I feel like if you are going to adapt this into a, you know, serial television show, or even if you were adapting it into a movie, I know there's been plenty of books, there's been comic books, there's been, I was supposed to say there's been video games, obviously there's been video games, uh, there's been a couple of animes as well, I think. Um, I feel like if you were if you, if you were going to make this into a big screen movie or a TV series, I don't think you could do that without him taking his helmet off, because how do you identify with and empathize with a character whose face you've never seen even if you think about i tried when we were watching star wars the other day 
I was thinking about this and then thinking about like droid characters. Like C-3PO isn't a human, but you still love him and you still empathize with him. But he has a face and he has a character. He there is a there is a, an expression in the way that he moves. And I feel like Master Chief, if you only ever saw him fighting and he didn't really do anything else, I don't think there would be any en- enough there to identify with. Hmm. So what about Mandalorian? I think it's boring. <laughs> and that's... I, I, so I don't really like The Mandalorian. I feel like people like The Mandalorian... Well, personally, I think the, the most interesting aspects of The Mandalorian are not him. So what would that program be without the child slash baby Yoda? I don't know The Mandalorian. I'm just saying that's a, a widely successful series. No, it is. And that, it's a very, very, very fair point because he only takes his helmet off a couple of times and people have obviously been up in arms about that as well. Uh, and Boba Fett, he barely even put his costume on in his show. And, you know, if you were to make something about Darth Vader, would you really be able to get through a whole thing of him with his helmet on? You probably would because you know his backstory. But with John in, in Halo, we don't know his backstory. They have to tell a backstory. They have to create a character around him. And I just think it works much better being able to humanise him a bit, even if that takes you slightly away from the video game. So what they have done, if you've not watched this, is they have taken the core aspects of the video game, you know, all of the design work, the aliens, the weapons, the the, the setup of the world, but have set it in a kind of alternate version of that universe where there's there's a lot less helmet wearing so that there's a lot more human characteristics and they can tell more of a human story around the characters, which I can understand why people wouldn't like that because it does take you away from it. But those things exist regardless. They're just not the focus of the video game. They're the focus of the TV show instead. So I can understand why you might say it's pointless because you are just exploring another aspect that takes you away from what it was about originally. But I, I, I honestly have really enjoyed it. I feel like it's a very, very well-budgeted version of what I would watch on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I love stuff that would be on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's, you know, there was a there was a scene in the last episode we watched where they panned around the city, and two people were walking out on a kind of like a balcony-type setting, and honestly, it's so well-integrated, it blew my mind how well it was made, because it's quite cinematic, and I just didn't expect that from a new streaming service, let alone a well-established streaming service. I mean, Stranger Things has really only just hit that kind of budget now. It's a brilliantly made show, but Netflix it had to be a you know multi-billion dollar platform for that to happen. So I didn't expect it and was pleasantly surprised by it. Mm, I mean, and I, it looks pretty. It, yeah. And it uh, to kind of go into a little bit more detail about what comes next, there, um, without spoiling it too much, episode five, which will release this week, has a huge fight sequence, which I actually wanted to ask the cast about, but I ran out of time, um, that takes up almost the second half of the episode, and it's so huge. It has every single speaking kind of cast member from the main cast involved in a massive fight sequence out in the kind of like uh, quarry-type area where they're being attacked by obviously fully CGI aliens, and it's so well done. It does stretch the show's budget to its limit, I think, but it's it's carried off really, really well, which is why I want you to keep watching, because it might just... Um, <laughs> he's now waving uh, a small picture of Jessica Fletcher at me. Um, something suspicious? Well, yeah. We went to a solve-along version of Murder, She Wrote this week, and it's one of the props that we, we had to use to try and flag down who had committed the crime. Um, yeah, I know, I just feel like that might be a moment that might buy you into it, because I feel like it starts out quite small... And grows pretty quickly and ends on quite a high note. Um, but let's say no more. 
Uh, it's instead throw to uh, two of the cast of the show, uh, the lead, Pablo Schreiber, who plays uh, John slash Master Chief, and Natasha McElhon, who plays Dr. Catherine Halsey, and also executive producer from the kind of Halo transmedia company, uh, Kiki Wolfkill. So she's been involved with the, the games as well as being one of the executive producers of the show. I got to sit down with them as part of the press junket for the Paramount Plus UK launch, and we had a good 10-minute chat about bringing Halo to UK audiences. So, hi guys. Thanks very much for taking the time to, to speak with me today. I'm excited that we can finally talk about Halo for the hey. UK fans. Yay. Kiki, I want to come to you first. Can you talk a little bit about the process of kind of opening up the world of the Halo games for, for television? Yeah. I mean, I think we really... Uh, you know, there's a there's a huge universe of characters and lore and history uh, that exists in the games, but also beyond the games. So in books, and so we kind of looked across all of the the universe stories when when we were building this story, and really we're looking at it as a way of of first giving players a way of experiencing Halo that feels different from the game and and comes from a different perspective and is additive. Uh, versus sort of duplicating the same game experience. But we also pulled from all the books and we pulled from all these pieces. And really at the end of the day, what was important is we tell a great story for television. Yeah. Uh, we express the Halo universe from a world building perspective, but also that we really express sort of the pillars of Halo, those ideas of hope and heroism and wonder and humanity. Like that was, that was sort of priority number one is that those come through. But we do look at events that people have experienced in the games and in the books, and, and we do look at them a little bit of a different way. Um, but at the end of the day, it was, how do we tell a great uh, television story? How do we tell a really interesting story uh, around John, not just the Master Chief, but John and what his, his journey and evolution is as he learns about his origin story? And, and so at the end of the day, it was expressing the universe uh, in a way that was complementary to the game experience. Yeah, and that was something I was going to pick up on. It feels, and I say that it feels quite rightly to me, like the writers have kind of taken control of John back from the player, because obviously we've spent all these years playing as him and controlling him, mm -hmm. but now you need to be able to tell an effective story for him. So was that something that was a conscious decision, was kind of trying to break that bond that a player would have with the character so that he could have an effective story for the viewer? Yeah, I mean, I think it was less about breaking the bond, because that's such a core part of the Halo experience, and more about saying you know, to the player, sit back and sort of enjoy this John story, knowing that you have your own, um, and let us sort of take your hand and, and take you on another story with him and sort of show a different side of him. Yeah. And so, Pablo, I want to ask you about the, the, the costume. It's obviously completely iconic to gamers, but were you anxious at all in, in putting that on, knowing it could be fairly restrictive and trying to perform in it. What was your kind of feeling going into it for the first time? Uh, I had no idea what, <laughs> what it was going to entail <laughs> going into it for the first time. But I sure learned pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously a huge honor and, and amazing to get to be in it. It feels uh, so, so vibrant and, and so powerful to be inside the suit. Um, but it's also a huge challenge to, to manipulate it and to, to make it feel like it's a piece of future tech that, that helps you uh, perform at a super soldier level um, rather than just a bunch of plastic that has been uh, heaped onto you. 
Um, and we're still learning with that. We're still, you know, figuring out how to make the costume uh, the best iteration of itself so that it can feel, uh, you know, as as uh, powerful as possible and as fast as possible and all of those things and to get some mobility in the places that are important to get mobility so that you can perform in that way and uh, yeah was, those are those are things that are all still in process and did you have a kind of did you have your superhero moment maybe on set or, or gearing up for a scene where you kind of saw yourself in this costume <laughs> and thought I you know I am Master Chief now yeah. <laughs> I think it was mostly seeing other people see me, yes. uh, and it was probably my children. You know, like having seeing my kids see me in in the suit was yes. was definitely where I was like, okay, yes, I am, I am playing a superhero. I never thought I'm Master Chief. <laughs> to, to be clear. I had that superhero moment of bet, seeing yeah. of seeing Pablo come out in the suit for yeah. the first time. It was amazing because think, yeah. you know, obviously, we we cast him and, and believed deeply in him, and and then seeing him actually step out. I think we were in costume, uh, uh, having him step out in the suit. I was like, oh my gosh! Like we were casting for John, and and Master Chief stepped through the yeah. door, and it was it was mm. extraordinary. Actually, it was really wow. emotional. Well, I remember the day that we we all all the Spartans put it on, and we yeah. came out for the crew. Because you probably oh, saw wow. one. I mean, Kiki was there through the whole iteration of the suits. The problem with we were doing the suit try-ons at FBX, FX, and they were they were not painted. They were not yeah. so it was like gray. Yeah. You know, yeah. didn't quite feel right. But then when when they were all done at one time, there was this one day where mm. they brought all four of us as Spartans out in front of the whole crew, yeah. and and you could from us inside the helmet. You could definitely see on the faces. Yeah. It was super powerful. I, 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 I had that experience. I, I was in costume. You were all coming towards uh -huh. Essentially, yeah. a shadow was cast. It was like, <laughs> where's imagine. the light coming? <laughs> there was this block of four giants coming at you. And uh, it was, yeah, it was before I started shooting. And wow. it was like, there it is. Mm. Right. But then Dr. Halsey is right in the thick of all the action. She's not, she's not, you know, confined to a lab or kind of, you know, she's in the thick of it. So what was it that attracted you to the role? I mean, there's, there's just so much with her. She's, you know, she's almost right alongside the Spartans for most of this story. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say more sort of puppet string. I, I mean, yep. pulling, yeah, more, more, more of a sort of omnipotent, or attempting to be, obviously she, Loses her grasp. Well, actually, I can't say too much because <laughs> <laughs> I know I um, yeah, 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 but but uh, yeah, more, more more of a puppet master maybe than actually there. I think when it gets too um, muddy, she's <laughs> she doesn't really get involved. She lets them take take the heat. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was it was great. And you get a very interesting scene in episode three where you get to act opposite yourself. Oh yeah. What was that like mm -hmm. on set? <laughs> it was complicated. Uh, it was a, a camera that went 360, which was fascinating. Wow. I'd never worked with anything like that before. It was largely technical, um, but it, uh, yeah, so, so it was a cap. It, well, it, it's, yeah, I won't even go into how long that all took to set up. <laughs> but essentially, you do the whole scene. You, you, you yeah. don't break, which is unusual on TV and film. You, you, you tend to sort of do segments, as you probably know, like yeah. a master shot, and then you go in and do coverage. And this wasn't like that. You had to sort of try and get it perfect every time wow. um, on both sides. But it was, it was really fun. I mean, I've never done that before. I'll probably never do it again. <laughs> um, so that was a one-off. <laughs> cool experience but there was this show was full of those for all of us I mm, think I can imagine yeah yeah one of the things I, I love the most about Natasha's characterization and why I think the character of Halsey is so effective in, in the series is it 
plot-wise, she's used really as kind of the villain. You know, yeah. she's this, as she said, puppet strings who, who has done all of these things to create the Spartan program that are probably morally, in some ways, compromised. Um, but uh, Natasha has such an inherent warmth and likability, you know, that that those things f feel, it, it balances it out in a really wonderful way, yeah. you know, that I think makes the character feel a lot more lived in and human than, than maybe it would on somebody else's hands. Yeah. Now, obviously, this, uh, this show has arrived with the UK audience slightly later than it has with America, but it arrives to UK fans in the knowledge that there is a second season. Um, anything you could tease quickly about what might be coming up? <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> We're definitely deep in it. I mean, we will head immediately to uh, back to back to the production. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we've got a. It was such an interesting journey with John um, and with Halsey in season one, and I think you know we have a new showrunner uh, for season two, David Weiner, who's fantastic. And so, um, you know, all I can say is he is. He is bringing his vision to it, and um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about what we'll do. I really love the tone of the new scripts. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited to see them uh, actualized, because I, I, I feel personally for me that this tone fits uh, the world in a really wonderful way that uh, first season did as well, but this, I'm just really happy to, to get to see David's vision on screen. I also think it's full of the unexpected. It mm -hmm. surprises. So unlike a lot of shows, I feel, where you get to establish everything and each episode is shocking and surprising and new because it's new. And then you get to the other seasons and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen this before. I've seen this format. This, this isn't like that. I feel this is all over again, yes. a whole new experience, a whole new roller coaster. It's not just more of the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm oh, very excited. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks, Neil. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you again to Paramount Plus for setting up that interview for me. It was my first ever face-to-face -face interview. You can watch it over on YouTube. There is a video version. I look like a gremlin. They all look beautiful. And he is huge because he's in shape for filming season two at the moment. So he's like twice the size of me. He's massive. He could have snapped my neck with one hand. <laughs> Steady on. I just mean he's a, he's a big man. He's no Captain Pike. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Oh dear. So uh, have you subscribed to Paramount Plus yet in the UK? What have you been watching? It'd be very interesting to know. We uh, will have to pick up on a couple more series that are on there. There's some really great originals that I've not got to yet. And there's some original movies coming up, including Teen Wolf, which is tied to the TV show that was on MTV, which I did watch most of. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what they do in the movie. Uh, but if you have been watching anything on Paramount Plus, get in touch and let us know. You can find us on Twitter and, uh, I was about to say Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Get Your Comic Con, or you can find me at Neil Vag on all major platforms. We will be back very soon with a brand new episode. Uh, I don't know what we're going to be talking about next. We've had a few things that have passed us by that we meant to talk about that we didn't have time to, like The Flight Attendant Season 2. You enjoyed? Mm. <laughs> have you been reading any comic books lately? No. See, I'm up to date, which is great. I've got a couple to read that are releasing this week, but I'm almost up to date, which is great. I've managed to catch up on my reading. This week, I uh, oh, I was going to go see a film called Fall on Tuesday, uh, which is a new signature entertainment release that's coming up later, I think this month, which looks brilliant. But unfortunately, they've had to reschedule it, so I'm not going to see that. Thor, Love and Thunder is out this week. There is a press screening on Tuesday, which uh, Mark, Matt and James are all going to. I have given them the tickets. They're going to that one because... 
I'm a little less interested in Thor after Ragnarok. It's not majorly my thing. Um, but I'm doing something exciting instead, which you will all hear about quite soon, hopefully. So until next time, uh, stay safe, stay well. Bye. Thanks for watching, Super Friends. If you enjoyed this video, then make sure to hit the subscribe button just down below and hit the bell so that you can get notified whenever we release brand new videos. In fact, there's two more waiting for you to watch right here below. So what are you waiting for? Why not click play?